Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Pia Berengini, a creative director of LPA, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a dog mom based in Los Angeles. This is my new podcast, Everything is the Best, where we basically ask interesting people, how did you go from zero to yacht? I'm always curious how the hell people became successful, and I figured you would be too. Get on the internet with me. Let's laugh, let's cry, let's overshare, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. It's all for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGinnon with teammate Aliyah Kamalova. Welcome to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice so that you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. Your workplace can have a huge impact on your quality of life, so it's important that your work environment is focused on the needs of its people. One way to do that is to implement or adhere to a human-centric approach. That's why on today's episode, we are going to talk about what a human-centric workplace is and how to mold a human-centric workplace culture. And now, this is The Females. Well, we are so fortunate today because we are joined by a career contestant coach and host of the podcast, Humanly Possible Future of Work Conversations, Angela Howard. Welcome, Angela. Hi, Lauren. It's great to see you. Thank Good to hear you. <laughs> yes, I know. Last time I saw you in person was in Chicago. No, no, no. It was in LA. It was about L- dinner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Honestly, who knows? When that was, time right. is flying. But yes, it's nice to, uh, we'll use air quotes, see you uh, via Zoom again. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so great to have you. And so I just wanted to start off by asking, uh, can you share a bit about your background as a career coach and maybe how you started your new podcast? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And again, thank you for having me. This is a really timely topic. And, um, you know, my background is I mean, academically, it's an organizational psychology. So I call myself an organizational psychologist. But really what that means is I study behavior at work. And I use that background to help organizations build more human-centric workplaces. And so really what prompted the podcast was really, first of all, it was COVID. (laughs) COVID was such a timely topic where these conversations around people-centered 
human first companies and really the appetite you could see from the employees that people were really um, kind of against a wall when it comes to this topic. Yeah. So my podcast is really centered around storytelling and timely discussions and bringing guests on who are really kind of changing the game around the traditional workplace. Two things. If you guys are like, that is the coolest job ever. How do I get that job? We actually interviewed you like long time ago about your job and how you got there. So Google career contessa, Angela Howard, and you can learn about her career path of how you actually get into studying behavior. But I think you're totally right about human centric workplace. It's like, it's taken a long time for that term to kind of catch on. But now people, especially I think COVID kind of accelerated this of like, no, 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 you have to start treating us like humans. We are not nine to five, you know, pay stubs. Like we, you have to treat us like that. And um, I think that so many companies got it wrong Mm -hmm. too during COVID. It was like, here's your chance to shine. And so many people slash, I mean, companies, not necessarily managers, they didn't know what to do and they just sort of got it wrong. So you know, we're all very grateful that you started your podcast because now I think it's like the bar has been set and we need to, we need to work our way there. I feel like there's another test right now as people go back to work too, where it's like, okay, are you going to keep this going? Even though people aren't yeah, forced oh my gosh, home yes. now, like now it's really an option to see whether your workplace is going to be human centric um, moving forward when it's kind of an option now to not be. Yeah. I mean, Aaliyah, you you bring up a really good point. And I was actually going to mention that the gap is narrowing on companies to be on the right side of history here. Yeah. It's a great point. So for those of us who are kind of new to this language, can you define what a human centric workplace is? And then maybe even give some examples of what that would look like in action. I'm, I'm such a visual learner. So I always ask people to like, give me an example of it done well and it not done so well. Yeah. I mean, human centric is, it is kind of a buzzword. I think we're hearing it more and more. And so I love the fact that you asked this question because operationalizing it is not easy. And Mm -hmm. really at the core is considering the whole human that is going to work. So I know that sounds oversimplistic, but it's really about you know, I think traditionally we've separated the work human from the whole human, right? We've said, okay, you've got to put your work face on, your work attire on, and you're going to be this completely perhaps inauthentic person from nine to five, and you're going to come home and kind of plop on the couch and say, whew, that was tough because I was performing for eight hours. So it's more about how do you create a space where employees can feel authentically themselves. And since they feel authentically themselves, they're then able to be more creative and more innovative and contribute in a way that's authentic and brings diversity and brilliance to the company. When I say diversity Mm -hmm. and brilliance, I'm really talking about talent, um, really taking Mm -hmm. advantage of talent at that organization. Mm -hmm. So an example of this would be, let's do, let's do, pre-COVID world, you are going into the office, you have proof that this is a human-centric workplace because why? They they talk about hiring practices around, hey, we're hiring people who bring their authentic selves. Or how do you how do you know if your workplace kind of has this going on already? Yeah, it really begins with the standards that leaders are held to. So I think an example of how it's not done well, if you think about your traditional management team perhaps more command and control, less autonomy, 
where a more human-centric workplace, leaders are empathetic. They are clear. They are uh, providing the information and the space for people to do their best work. And they're also removing barriers for them so that they can be challenged and take on more work. Mm -hmm. So maybe an example is like a place where you're allowed to talk about your family or leave work early to go catch the baseball game. I feel like I use that example a lot. Like <laughs> these kids on this podcast are always having a baseball always playing game. Baseball. <laughs> yeah, always playing baseball versus a place where like someone feels like they cannot talk about their family at work or, or, or really anything outside of work, their personal lives at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, a good example is like butts and seats, right? Mm-hmm. The managers yeah. who were traditionally butts and seats, but your butt's in the seat, but you're on Facebook, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. like, okay, I'm at home and I'm actually getting three times more work done and I'm comfortable and I'm able to have lunch with my kids and take a walk and focus on my health. You know, those are two very different environments where physically you being in an office at a, a, at a laptop is considered success versus now, you know, leaders mm-hmm. are realizing, well, people can get work done pretty much anywhere and feel really good about doing it. And by the way, we're getting a lot more out of it because they're using discretion as to when and where they can work. Yeah, this reminds me of that whole busyness as the badge of honor thing, yes. you know, rewarding busyness versus results and all that. But um, okay, well, coming up, we're going to share Angela's tips for molding a human-centric workplace. Human-centric policies mean putting the needs of your employees first. One way to do that is providing health insurance for your entire team. However, for many employers with remote and global teams, it's almost impossible to offer health insurance to their whole team. Well, our sponsor, SafeDoing, has solved this problem for remote teams by creating the first global health insurance. As more companies embrace the advantage of hiring global talent, they're realizing that the benefits are still very localized and constrained by national borders. SafeDoing is on a mission to fix the problem of remote employee benefits by offering borderless benefits for remote and distributed teams. Safety Wings Remote Health Insurance works in any country, whether you live there or are just visiting. They have a fully equipped health insurance that works for all of your global employees, so it is built for a truly global workforce. Plus, the great thing about Safety Wing is that you can add anyone affiliated with your company to one simple plan that gets cheaper as you scale. With SafetyWing, you have the ability to customize your policy to make it perfect for your team. Remote health insurance works globally, so you can hire the best talent in the world. SafetyWing's remote health allows companies to offer equal benefits to the whole team, no matter where they live or are located. Your team is global, and their benefits should be global too. Go to safetywing.com slash remote health to learn more. That's safetywing.com slash remote health to learn more. Okay, Angela, your first tip is to have organizational identity that is clear and authentically demonstrated. Can you explain what you mean by that? Because I'm sure everyone is like, I want to have an authentic workplace, but nobody knows how to go from that idea to like what it actually looks like. So can you explain? Yeah, so, you know, organizational identity is just like, any other identity. So it is an entity of itself. And so the ideal workplace is where you are attracting team members who are living, are already living the values that you want exemplified within your company. 
that have the same purpose, have the same direction and focus. So this really means lifting up your, let's say, core values, for example. You know, we use buzz terms like core values or core behaviors and really lifting that off the page or off your website. Uh, it's not just a fancy graphic, right, that you mm-hmm, pop on your website mm-hmm. and say, these are our core values. Are people held accountable to those things? Are executives and leaders, you know, at, at any level being held accountable? And then are those behaviors recognized? Are they being highlighted? Are you hiring with questions specifically for those values that you're looking for to make sure you're bringing in those people? And then, you know, I always like to say that culture is the worst behavior at your company. <laughs> so if you are allowing someone to go against the things that you're preaching, you're you're basically just blowing blowing that concept up, right? And yeah. Nobody is going to take you seriously if you aren't holding people accountable to those values or those behaviors that you have on your website. Mm-hmm. This makes me think a lot about, we had a podcast episode like a couple of years ago, Candace Morgan, she was head of diversity, inclusion, and belonging at Pinterest. And she talked a lot about how you need to hire for value fit, not culture fit. And to your point, people can't do that if they don't know what the values are of the organization. And it should not be something that's just written on a piece of paper where the person has to, they're like, I don't know what our values are. I have to go look it up in order to know. It's like, you should be able to tell what the values are of the organization because they are lived and breathed and and maybe even repeated often on I'm curious, can you give us an example of what a value might be in an organization? Just just maybe even a couple examples of like, what are the words? Is it like we value feedback? And so then there it's like, okay, that's written down, but then they're constantly asking for feedback, something like that, or you see it on paper and in action. Yeah. Uh, values yeah, come in many shapes and forms. Mm-hmm. Your most common are things like we treat each other with respect or we are inclusive. Yeah. So the problem with these, though, is that what what's my definition of ex- inclusive and what's your definition of inclusive, right? Like mm-hmm. in my head, mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking, okay, inclusive is, uh, you know, I'm included in meetings. But in your head, you're thinking it's that I'm treated fairly and equitably. So companies have to not only state their values, they have to define them yeah. and be really clear about what they actually mean to that organization. There's just like a level of transparency where, again, we're just getting a, like, I think just people need more specifics. They need it not to just be the bullet point. They need it to be very clearly defined, given examples, and then they need to see it in action. So if you are a manager listening to this, for example, what are the values of your team? Can you guys come up with them together? And then can you can you make this an ongoing process? Because I also think this is one of those things where it's done quickly in an onboarding process. And then you really never hear about it again unless something happens in the world and it requires you to say it again. So on a similar note, what would you say um, is your advice for someone that's hiring someone um, into a company, you know, where there's maybe a pre-established culture and uh, value system? And even if it's working, like how do you make sure you're hiring for you know, someone that fits with the values rather than like, oh, well, I see you graduated from the same place as me. I think we'll be culturally okay. Yeah. Any tips for feeling that out with a new, a new hire? Yeah. So the first thing is I really like the term, I know we talk a lot about culture fit, but I really like the term culture amplifier because I think what happens is just what you mentioned is, you know, you want to hire someone who's like you went to the same school you connect yes. and resonate with. Yes. This happens all the time, by the way, people. All the time <laughs> because it's so comfortable, right? It's yes. Like, 
They're like, I don't know why. I just really liked her. I think she can do the job. It's like, uh, I think I know why. Yeah. And then you're not getting diversity. You're not getting the mix of experiences, background perspectives that you need. And so to your point, you really do need to get objective. So what are the behaviors that are aligned to each of your values and develop questions for those specifically? So if inclusion at your company means fairness, we treat everybody with fairness, but we also treat everybody equitably, meaning you have to be empathetic towards people and understand their situation. Maybe you ask them about a time when you uh, had to change a policy or develop uh, a process for uh, promotion or something like that. You know, the question should be based on the behavior, but also it should be Mm -hmm. situational. So that's what we call situational interviewing where we actually ask about a scenario that relates to that behavior or that value. I like that a lot. There was a really good Instagram the other day. Maybe we posted it and it was a person who got a new job and they were in a wheelchair. And when they showed up for their first day, the company had taken down the front desk to make it at a level so that when that person walks in, they're able to make eye contact with the person behind. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they were like, that's inclusion. So it's kind of one of those things of uh, if a company is like touting inclusion and then like that, whatever company that was, they're clearly following through with it. And I'm not saying you all have to do construction projects, but I am commenting that that is someone who is saying it and acting it out. Right. Yeah. Walk the walk. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and that's that would be a perfect you know, question, if you do, if inclusion is one of your values and you're hiring a leader of the organization or a decision maker at the organization, tell me about a time where you, you know, created equity within the company or you changed something fundamentally at your company to be more equitable or fair. Those are key questions that you could use for that value. I want to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Pure Synergy. Pure Synergy is your resource for organic, sustainable wellness. They provide the most pure and potent vitamins, superfoods, and herbal extracts made with organic ingredients. No chemical additives, fillers, or solvents. With Pure Synergy products, you'll feel good about what you're putting into your body and how it impacts the planet. Pure Synergy believes that everyone deserves to be well in body, mind, and spirit, so they want to empower you to stay well. In fact, their deep-seated care for the well-being of people drives their mission to create the best, most effective products possible. One of Pure Synergy's most significant environmental contributions has been their decision to relentlessly grow, source, and promote the development of organic, non-GMO ingredients for their products. By supporting organic farming practices, they not only reduce the depletion of resources, but revive our planet's nutrient-rich soils. Pure Synergy spares no expense to ensure the most active and effective ingredients. They perform rigorous testing at every stage of the sourcing and manufacturing process to ensure their products meet strict standards. All of Pure Synergy's vitamins are whole food based and fermented so they are absorbed just like food. And their super pure eco-friendly extraction method guarantees no chemical solvents and additives. All of their products are manufactured in their award-winning, wind-powered, certified organic facility in Utah. Wellness means something different to everyone. Whether you're just starting a health journey or are addressing a specific challenge, Pure Synergy wants to help empower you to embrace your well-being in mind, body, and spirit. Wellness is yours. For 20% off your first purchase of Pure Synergy, go to thesynergycompany.com and use code FEMALES, F-E-M-A-I-L-S at checkout. 
Okay. So your second tip is to have people centric and servant leadership. So what do you mean like people centric and servant in, in the leadership position? Like how does that play out? Yeah, I personally believe, and this is backed up with, with some research and, and uh, some academic background, but I think we have leadership wrong. You know, I think the construct of leadership, you know, when we think about things like, you know, uh, aggression or um, being demanding or, you know, these words that we think about when we think like about intimidation, intimidation, power, mm-hmm. these are words that constructs that we relate to people who are leaders, who are in positions of power. And I actually think we should be thinking about it from the perspective of leaders who are empathetic and actually think about themselves as humble leaders who are servants to their people. And that's a completely, that's a, that's a 360, a 180, excuse me, of what we're kind of, I guess, taught perhaps in management school or uh, you know, when we talk about leadership and, and how it shows up. So when I think about people-centric leadership, I'm thinking about leaders who are empathetic, but they're also clear, right? Mm-hmm. We can be we can be empathetic and kind, but we could also be very clear about what our expectations are. We should also be thinking about uh, leadership as, you know, getting to know your people and understanding what they need. That's That's equity, right? So we talk about equality and equity. The difference is, if I'm an equitable leader, I'm learning about my people and I'm understanding, well, Susie and Jerome need different things. They need a different style of leadership. And so I just feel like the cost of bad leadership is so detrimental. And when I say bad leadership, it's really about a command and control uh, kind of sterile version of management that just isn't working or serving us anymore. I was thinking too, there's some people who that's their style of management, one, because that's the examples they saw, but also sometimes there can be this feeling of like, hey, someone was a really tough man or treated me like this. So, you know, I didn't get it easy. So you don't get the empathetic leader either. You know, there's a little bit of that like chip on the shoulder thing sometimes. I also, when you were saying this, I was thinking about how I think we, I think being a leader and a manager is the hardest job out there. And it's because you are, you are putting other people first. You are being empathetic. You are being humble. You are, your job is to support the people around you and also guide them to obviously your guys' performance and your results. You know, we all, you know, it is work. You know, we have to get results. And it's like maybe a good question for people to be thinking about right now is, if you don't feel like that is the hardest job of your day, then maybe you're not doing it quite right. Because managing people and humans and, and we have feelings, we have other things going on. It's There's a lot involved in that. Yeah, I think it's also the reason why some people don't even want to, you know, take a promotion to like a manager position, for example. And it's not because they like don't want a promotion or whatever, but it, because it's just a whole different role. You're, it's all yeah. about people. Like yeah, a whole it's not, you're, you're removing yourself from what you do, even if it's in the same field or whatever, but it's just like so much of your time and energy is for your team. Yeah. That's why we should stop promoting the person yeah. who's the best at the job mm-hmm. to become the manager. <laughs> Angela's laughing. She's like, yes. yes. 100% because this happens so often and it's such a legacy problem Yeah, and it compounds over time. So what happens is, you know, you start to promote people into these roles and the collective leadership capability at that organization just plummets. Yeah. Because those people 
they wanted the raise and the title, but they don't want to yes. be a leader. But that's the problem is if the raise and the title is always associated with becoming the manager, yeah. I'm going to take it. You know, So we have to also disconnect that. So I know I'm getting off topic. I'm moving on to like a whole nother podcast episode, but it's, it's, you know, I, I have a real, I, I agree with you. This is a legacy problem and new managers have to come in and help set new values and, and policies at companies for that to change. And I'll just mention too, that one of the things that if, you know, leaders are listening, decision makers um, are listening to this podcast, the one thing we can start to do is to create multiple paths for people mm-hmm. in society, right? We learn, you know, climb the ladder and really it's more of a jungle gym. So, but the jungle gym has to be created by the corporation or the organization to say, okay, you want a path and it's not leadership and that's okay. Mm-hmm. There's this other path, which is like a technical expert or a, a professional in place where we're still going to develop you and grow you, but we also respect the fact that you don't want to lead. And because that's a whole nother skill set that we have to teach you or you have to acquire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just one last thought on that is like, I get that companies need leaders. They need people to manage. They need people to lead. And I would say at a minimum, then start providing, like if a person is interested in that, also provide them the education and the tools to learn how to be a leader. Because, you know, I do understand. I remember we were interviewing someone. She wrote the book, The Making of a Manager. And she was like, look, companies need leadership. So we're going to have to give some priority to people taking those roles and, and that. But then it's like, okay, can we also create some sort of resources, education, support for people who jump into that role who are learning brand new? Just like your first job at a college, we expect you to be learning something, right? You take on that new role. So I, I really like that point about different paths, but also I think, and I totally get needing to say like, Hey, if you're willing to take the tough job being the manager, you maybe get paid a little bit more cool, but also let's, let's not just pay them more. Let's give them the resources too, which, um, you know, not every company can do this, but there are a lot of companies that can and just don't. Right. Absolutely. So, okay. So your third tip is to have a listening strategy that's acted on. Can you elaborate a little bit on this listening strategy and what it you know, I was going to say what it looks like, but maybe what it sounds like. Yes, what it sounds like. So this kind of ties right into leadership and there's different layers of listening. So all of your leaders should be listening. So you want to multiply that empathetic, emotional intelligence skill in, in your leadership. You want to bake that in. But there's also there also should be some broader company-wide listening. So a lot of companies do this through like an annual engagement survey, for example, or an annual culture survey, or just a listening survey. They're called many different things. But this is really about listening, collecting feedback, and acting on that feedback. And I cannot tell you how important that last piece is, acting on that feedback. But you can't just do it once and it's done. Uh, It's really about like finding opportunities within an employee life cycle where there's kind of a moment in time that matters. So like when somebody onboards the first 90 days, someone's just promoted. These are key moments in an employee's career that you really want to be listening to because how they respond may be different than what you think is actually going on. (laughs) You know, especially Mm -hmm. if you're a leader or an executive in a company, they're usually out of touch, to be honest, Mm -hmm. because they're operating at this strategic level. So Having a listening strategy is really important. And then collectively acting on those things and actually saying, we heard this and now we're doing this differently to address your feedback. 
Mm-hmm. I was thinking even the things you're not going to act on. You know, I understand organizations can't act on every wish of their employees potentially, but responding and taking the time to pause and say, I heard you, I understand you, you know, here's why we're not going to act on this at this time. But, you know, the door is open for future communication or something like that, because I do think, you know, someone might be listening to this as a manager and they're like, oh, give me a break. Like we can't do all the things that employees want all the time. That is okay too, right? But I think that to your point about being empathetic and humble, there's a big piece of this about communication too. And leadership has been very secretive for a long time too. Like we don't know how they're making decisions. What do they go for? What do they not go for? So I also think to your point, Angela, about listening is listening and responding is better than just listening and then poof, you disappear. And I would even say add questions to your exit interviews. Like a lot of um, employers are like, oh, they're leaving. We've already lost them. You can learn so much by having by putting as much energy into your onboarding as to your off, you know, your exit interview process too. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's a, it's a great point. That's another kind of key moment in time, I think, from mm-hmm. a employee life cycle perspective because they're going to give you it honestly too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I have nothing to lose at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but you may, you'd be surprised how many times I've seen employees come back. You know, yeah. they, they, they try a new experience and the way you treated them on the way out is so important because they may, they're going to be a brand ambassador for you and potentially another uh, employee yeah. later on. Yeah. Okay. So your fourth and final tip is to maintain equitable practices, policies, and actions that focus on the whole human and create opportunities and options for everyone. So, I mean, that sounds really great. What is, what does it look like? <laughs> I'm like, yep, that sounds perfect. <laughs> Who's the whole human? <laughs> yes. Yes, the whole human. So, I mean, this this goes down to, I think, listening, but also that empathy that I talked about earlier with leadership. So this can look like policies and programs like parental leave, for example. Uh, a lot of companies are starting to say, okay, traditionally we've done maternity leave, but that seems a bit unfair because in order to help support women and men, and especially women, I mean, I, I, I can't express enough how important parental leave is for women. Because if women have a partner who's actively supported in parenting, uh, that creates space for the woman to be able to perhaps work from home or or ease back into work more quickly. So you're not doing parental leave for the the father or the, the person who's identifying as the father. You're doing it for the family unit, the whole human and the family unit. Things like hy- hybrid working programs, there's a lot of talk right now about companies who are saying, yeah, we'll do hybrid work, but you need to come in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. How is that personalized, right? Like why coming in Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the arbitrary days where I got to pick up my kids on Monday or yeah. I, my son has or baseball, a baseball yeah. game. Going to a baseball game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There it goes again. Um, there it goes again. <laughs> but why can't, why can't I have autonomy and create my own schedule? Because I'm a, a grown adult who knows how they work best and what time they work best. Things like being fair about compensation and promotions. I can't tell you, you know, Lauren, you mentioned earlier about being secretive. A lot of people don't know how these things are decided. So what's the objective process for compensating a new hire versus a tenured employee? Uh, Are you doing a market analysis or are you just kind of going off of gut because this person's green and this person's not? Uh, So all those things really do matter. And there's a 
fine balance between fairness and equality. You need to have some element of equality, but you also have to have another layer of equity, which means you're really understanding what the person needs and how to use those policies and programs to make their lives and their lifestyles more enriching. To help managers who are trying to do this, I mean, what do they do? Do they hire someone like you? Is there a way, do they create like a, a checklist for themselves? Do they, I mean, how do they do this on their teams? Yeah, I think, Uh, You know, when you talk about programs and policies, certainly hiring someone like me to help with auditing Mm -hmm. some of those Mm -hmm. things to say, you know, if you really want to create equity, these are some areas that you need to fix or change. Mm -hmm. But also the leadership development, which is something that I also, first of all, I'm very passionate about. But you mentioned the preparedness around leadership. Uh, I have a program. It's called the Level Up Leadership Program. We work within intact teams to actually develop these skills. Mm-hmm. be more empathetic and emotionally intelligent to be able to create this equity and inclusion within within teams and within organizations. Mm-hmm. I know we're big fans also of um, like an employee handbook or a team handbook. Like I'm a big fan of just sort of like working as a team to come up with your values, your policies, how you're going to do things and putting it on paper and having it be a document that everyone has before something happens. Because I feel like a lot of times too, this stuff happens after someone found out that they were paid $30,000 less than somebody else or after, like after the insult has already happened and you know, you can't, you can't change that, but you, what you can do is you can be proactive about creating, you know, fair and equitable documentation with your team and then moving forward. And of course, like using that as a guide that that's just something I have found to be somewhat helpful is then, then you know, and your values to your point, to your first point is they, they guide your decision making process moving forward, you know? Yes. Memorial, I, memorializing these things is really important because it sets the playing field leveled in a way that everyone knows what to expect. But the equity part is really up to leadership to say, okay, mm-hmm. what else do you need? Right. Those are the basics. Those are the, the policies, but but what else do you need to to do your best work and be your best self? Um, and that's that's kind of the the nuance I think between equality and equity, and where why leadership and the skill set, the capability around leadership is so important. Yeah. To have. I wish I wish every company had you <laughs> auditing their internal. <laughs> yeah, um, no, because it, it like sounds so good and it sounds so I, easy, but then like you've totally been in like those situations or those work environments where it's just like one thing on paper and just totally different when you're in the office and the companies that are like, give them ping pong tables that will shut them up and make them happy. It's like, Oh man, we got it so wrong. It's like we went backwards, but now we have the chance to go forward and treat humans as humans. They have good days. They have bad days. They have life stuff. They have work stuff. They, you know, struggle with feedback They struggle to give feedback, you know, whatever it is. And and coming up with, with those, um, we talk a lot about values, but I think one of the biggest challenges when we talk about, values for a team or people is like, they don't even know what they are because, you know, they haven't thought about them. So thank you for giving them the the lowdown on that. Well, Angela, it's always so amazing to get to talk to you. And thank you again for sharing these tips. I, I, you know, as always said, let's hope that organizations are going to start actually doing this and have this human centric approach. So if people want to learn more about how they can work with you or listen to your podcast, can you just remind them where, where they can find all that? Yeah. So uh, Humanly Possible Future of Work Conversations, you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to reach me, I'm at uh, www.angelarhoward.com. 
Amazing. And you can also work with Angela as a career coach. You will link to that um, for Career Contessa, as well as your um, leadership program. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes. But if you guys forget, it's her name as the website. <laughs> <laughs> Try to make it easy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. You can even share future topics that you want us to cover in your review. And we'd like to give a shout out to Erica Bushwell, who recently left us a review and it says, inspiring and motivating. This podcast is awesome because it offers great and meaningful advice. The information shared is valuable and insightful. Hearing the stories on here proves that no one is alone and that is comforting. Definitely worth your time to listen. Thank you, Erica, so much. And we're so thrilled our stories make it so that you don't feel alone. If you want to stay up to date with Career Contessa, subscribe to our newsletter. Not only will you get helpful, actionable career advice every week, but you'll also get access to exclusive offers, trusted content, and updates that we only share with our email family. And if you want to learn more about Angela and her podcast, Humanly Possible, Future of Work Conversations, go to her website, AngelaRHoward.com. We've also linked to that in the show notes. Don't forget that you can also work one-on-one with Angela as your career coach via Career Contessa's coaching service, hire a mentor. Again, we made sure to link to Angela's coaching page in the show notes.